Man, I'm so glad y'all are here today to celebrate Jesus Christ together as one family. Man, it's always an encouragement to be together on Sunday morning, isn't it? It's kind of that battery recharge uh, for the week in front of us, and uh, we've got a hot week uh, as it uh, happens uh, in in the weather uh, arena right now. Oh, but we've got a lot going on around here. Been very busy all week long getting ready for VBS. Uh, say amen if you love our kids. Yes, thank you for participating in that. Uh, and I know we don't have kids' classes today because our volunteers all week long have been busy getting classrooms ready, the stage ready, the commons ready. Make sure to take time to look around if you're not coming back tonight to see all the good work they've done. And so we want to acknowledge them this morning. If you were a volunteer this week for anything at all, if you're coming back to be a part of EBS in the evenings to help teach our kids about Jesus, please stand to be recognized. We want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for taking care of our kids and leaning into them because we want our kids to look like Jesus, don't we? We want them to learn about Jesus. We want them to know who he is. And VBS is always that annual event that kind of helps pour into our kids a little bit uh, more intensively who Jesus can be for them in their life. We're right in the middle of a series that's called The Art of Being Unordinary. And Don alluded to that in the communion time together. But this idea of being unordinary means that we don't want to look like the world, that we want to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who we want to emulate in our life. He set the example for us, and so we want to look like him more and more every day. And this series is about dealing with people who might be difficult uh, to love. Jesus said the most important thing in your discipleship walk are two things. And he mentioned those in Mark chapter 12. He said, first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, love people around you just like you love yourself. Now, admittedly, there are people in our lives who are more difficult to love than others, right? And so how do we do that? Well, we lean into the story of Jesus and discover how he did it because we want to look and act like him. I will say last week we talked about controlling people in your life, not you're controlling them, but we all have people in our life who don't like the direction you're going or what you're saying or or the decisions you're making, and so they're trying to control some things that are happening in your life. How do we deal with those controlling people? We talked about that last week. I failed to mention last week, this series is really a great introduction. If you're having trouble in these areas, we've got a great ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. It meets on on Tuesday night in our uh, youth room, just on the other side of this wall, every Tuesday night, rain or shine, doesn't matter what's going on, a group gathers who are trying to become more and more like Jesus, just like the rest of us are too. So if you are having these difficulties in life with some relationships, you're trying to learn how to carry that, uh, that relationship into a better place, Celebrate Recovery is a great place to learn how to do that with other people who are striving to that end as well. Now, today we're going to be talking about the critical people in your life. No doubt, most of us in here have been criticized before in our life. There's something that we've done that somebody hasn't liked, and they've tried to correct us on that or or kind of coached us in a certain direction. How many of you in this room have someone who their spiritual gift is fault-finding? Raise your hand. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's most of us in here. We've got somebody in our life who really likes to point out where you're not doing everything just like they would do it. So how do we lean into those people that we love and care for but are a little more difficult maybe than some of the other relationships that we have in life? You and I want to be more like Jesus, and we want to love on those people. And I think Jesus and the Bible really shows us how to lean into folks that uh, might not be having uh, or moving in a direction that we'd like for them to move either as far as more of a Christ-like attitude. Because honestly, it seems like they can't be happy unless they are criticizing you in your life, right? There are moments where you think, I just don't think that you can have a happy life unless you're kind of pulling other people down. And we all know folks like that. There are folks who, who critique us uh, almost daily. Some of those relationships might look something like uh, maybe you're a 30-year-old who's got your degree, you have got uh, a career going, and you're living in another town, and yet your parents are still kind of critiquing how you're doing and what decisions you're making every single day. Maybe you've got, uh, maybe you're married to somebody who mentions on a regular basis, you know, every time you talk to the kids, you're kind of yelling at them all the time. Uh, may, maybe you've uh, experienced how people might even talk about Crosspoint. Over the 10 years that, that I've been here, we've had a lot of pushback on the way that we, we might do worship or our kids' classes or our connect groups. I mean, any number of things. There are other people out there in the religious world who've kind of pushed back. But you know what? We're going to continue to do the way that God's called us to do here at Crosspoint. We're going to continue to lean into folks, be on mission, and tell people about Jesus in relevant ways that get them connected to our Savior. That's who we want to be. But how do we love on people who are really critical of us? It's attributed to Aristotle that he said this, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. In other words, Aristotle's admitting that we're always going to have critics in our life. There's always going to be somebody pushing back on decisions that you're making, direction that you're going. And so how do we love on those people that we care for but tend to have that kind of critical spirit about them? Brene Brown, who is a professor at the University of Houston, she's written a lot of work. She's a sociologist, and she is a, a terrific writer, and I love reading her work. She has a, a phrase that she uses that I can't quote verbatim in this context, but she says, you know what? If you're not in the arena and life is kicking you around, I really don't care what you have to say. And so it's this idea that you know, when, when we have people in our life that are being critical of us, what we'd rather them do is really pull alongside of us. Maybe walk a mile in our shoes. Maybe discover the backstory. Maybe ask a few questions along the way. And then maybe your voice will have credence in my life. That's kind of what Brene is saying. If you're alive, you're going to deal with criticism in your life. So what we want to do today is to dig into Scripture and discover how do we deal with those people that we know are going to exist every day, every week in our life. I'm going to give you four or five different things this morning quickly in our time together that I hope will give you some, some uh, foundation to kind of interact in those kind of relationships that you have along the way. And the first idea is this. Often, you don't respond. Often, you just don't respond to criticism. There is Nothing that says you're obligated to respond to those people who have some negative things to say about you. There's a saying that Robin and I like. I don't know where we heard it, but I love it. What other people think about you is none of your business. I love that. That's a great saying. 
but you're not obligated to respond to folks who have negative things to say to you. We learn that from Jesus' own life. Peter the Apostle says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He says, Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. So we look at the life of Jesus, and we see how he interacted with those around him who, who were demeaning who were critical of his ministry and his life. I mean, you look at all the muckety-mucks during Jesus' time, the folks who kind of ran the country, the folks who were somebody to be reckoned with, they were the ones saying, you know what? Jesus eats with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. He is a glutton and a drunkard. He is heretical. He's a lunatic. And if people could criticize Jesus, who is absolutely perfect, you know that you and I are going to get criticized along life's way. So important that we understand you don't have to respond every time someone has a critical statement that comes to you. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Now, overlooking is not the same as pretending that it never happened. Overlooking an offense is not the same thing as pretending that it never happened. To overlook something is simply saying, I have the capability to retaliate right now, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna rise above that. I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna do what Jesus exampled for me that I should be doing in my own life. I wanna encourage you to put this book on your summer reading list if you have one of those. Um, it's so important. The work is really good and reminds us of where we are in our culture right now. The name of the book is Unoffendable. It's by Brant Hansen. That's Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. And our staff read the book, our leadership team, our shepherds are reading the book or have read the book because it's so important in our current culture. Have you noticed everyone is so offendable? I mean, every single thing, little word, little, it doesn't matter where you go or what you do, everybody is offended. Everyone believes their voice is the most important voice and no one else's voice really matters. We live currently in this culture that is absolutely so offendable. But we're saying as people of God, as followers of God, we're not going to be offended we're going to move forward kind of to the next level. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to lose three months of sleep over something that you said about me that I know really isn't true. I'm going to choose to rise above and kind of take the high road. Now, I will say in my past, I've not always chosen that reply. I've made some bad choices in my life where I chose to respond and reply when I really should have just left everything in God's hands. Knowing it wasn't true what the person said, I chose to reach out and respond. And so it's just a reminder from personal experience, you don't always have to respond, especially when you know that it's not true. The second idea is this, that sometimes we respond, but we do so carefully. And responding is very different than reacting. Reacting is that initial emotional thing that you feel that you just want to get back at the person. They did something to you. They said something to you. And so you're going to kind of one-up them, hit them with a bigger club, so to speak. That's reacting. Responding is very different. You see, reacting is an emotional-driven moment. Responding is more spirit-led because you're thinking through, how would Jesus interact in this moment? Even when I feel hurt, how should I respond? 
There's a story that kind of shows how this kind of plays out in the book of Judges. Uh, the judges were folks that, that God raised up out of Israel before they had kings when there were issues going on in the country of Israel, and Israel would cry out to God for help, and so Jesus, or God would rather raise up a, a judge. And one of those judges was a guy by the name of Gideon. He was claimed to be a very small guy from the smallest tribe. God, why would you use me? I don't want the job. Please find somebody else. And he went on and on about trying to get out of the job. Well, the Midianites, another country, had come in and invaded Israel. They had taken all their crops and their livestock. They had kind of devastated the land. And so Israel had cried out to God for help, for relief. And so he raised up Gideon. Well, at the end of the day, Gideon finally surrendered to God. He took the job, and with a very small group of guys, about 300 guys in the dead of night, he did some kind of interesting tactics that drove the army out of Israel, and they got their land back. And so at the end of the battle, Gideon is this hero, the leader that God chose, but there are other Israelites who have a problem with his leadership. They've got some questions. You can find this story in chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Judges, but our story for today will start in Chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, Then the people of Ephraim asked Gideon, Why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you sin for us when you first went out to fight the Midianites? And they argued heatedly with Gideon. But Gideon replied, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't even the leftover grapes of Ephraim's harvest better than the entire crop of my little clan of Abizer? God gave you victory over Oreb and Zeb, the commanders of the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to that? And when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. Now, in the moment, Gideon could have said, I don't think y'all know who you're talking to here. I'm the guy that God raised up with almost nobody. I drove out the entire army of the Midianites. I mean, I'm the guy. I'm God's chosen one. He could have used all of those and would have been right to do so. But instead, he weighed everything out. He responded carefully to those brothers of his in Israel and just kind of compared some notes. You guys are great. You added to the victory. We couldn't have done it without you. And so he responded appropriately. And there are going to be times in your life when you have pushback for decisions that you make as well. And maybe you felt that along the way with the, the college that you chose to go to or the particular degree program that you picked. Maybe family members were looking at that and, and thinking, you're not going to be able to make a lot of money if you go into that field. Maybe you decided after graduation you moved to a different location away from family. They didn't want you to do that, and they, they let you know about it pretty quickly. Maybe in your own life you have been away from church and you came back or You've been a part of some ministry outreach, and others around you have been skeptical because they knew the old you, and they're not sure that you're really committed to what now you say you are. And maybe you're a, a mom who, who had kids and then decided, you know what, I'm leaving my career behind. I'm going to stay at home with my kids. And you get pushback because of that. Or maybe just the reverse. You, you had kids, and now you're leaving them with someone else to go back into the workforce because that's one of your passions. You get pushed back from that. Every single thing that we do in life, we're going to have someone criticize us because of the choice that we made. But you respond carefully. You wait before you respond because typically when emotion is very high, wisdom is very low. When emotion is really high, wisdom 
is very low. So when you get back to your office and you've had that interaction and you type out that email, do not hit send just yet. Drop it in the draft folder, sleep on it overnight, come back the next day, read through it again. You might reword some things, you might pull some sentences out, you may delete the whole thing altogether. That might be important in your life. I had uh, one of our shepherds was telling me a story from when in the early 80s when he worked for the government and, and he had sent an email that he wished he couldn't, he hadn't sent rather. And so he was looking for, there's got to be a way to delete this email, got to be a way to delete the email. And he finally found the button and he hit resend. <laughs> he thought resend, like pull back, but it was resending. So I thought, oh, in case the guy didn't get it the first time, you send it twice. That's good. We all have to remember that many times criticism for you, towards you, is not really about you. A lot of times it's born out of the hurt in someone else's life, and that critical spirit simply comes out on you, towards you. It really has nothing to do with you. I've found that a lot of angry people I deal with in my own life, when you just ask a few questions, you can kind of get to the bottom. It has nothing to do with me. It has more to do with their there's a certain plot in life where they find themselves, the frustration they might be dealing with, and it manifests itself in a very critical spirit. I found that folks that have, have issues with me at times, they just have inconsistencies in their own life that they haven't reconciled, they haven't worked through just yet. So in those moments, as difficult as it might be, and someone is kind of laying some words on you that are cutting and deep and heavy, what would Jesus do in that moment? Think about that from a compassionate standpoint. What kind of heart should I have in this moment? And maybe just a cup of coffee, asking some questions, getting to the root of the issue is all that really needs to happen. And your cool head, your Jesus-like spirit can help mend some fences along the way. But occasionally, you do need to stop, listen, and, and make some changes there are moments when people are giving you some criticism, some advice, if we could call it that, where you realize, you know what, they, there's some truth really in what they're saying. Sometimes the people that are hardest on you are actually right. They're giving you some good feedback that maybe you didn't necessarily want to hear, but now you understand this is probably some truth about me. So when the wife who loves you tremendously says, you know, every time you talk to the kids, you're kind of yelling at them, maybe... It's time to think about how do I interact with the kids? What is it that I need to be doing different? Maybe in your dating life, if oh, the circle of influence that's around you are telling you that you're dating the devil, maybe you need to listen to them. It's possible. Lean in and gain some wisdom. If everyone is telling you a specific thing in your life, then it might be time to listen. The writer in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, beginning, says this, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. And if you reject discipline, you'll only harm yourself. For if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. There are moments when criticism can be gainful for you, when you can learn something along the way. And if you have a receiving heart in the process, it's going to benefit you immensely. But at the end of the day, both you and I need to work on guarding our heart. And there's a reason for that. We want to guard our heart because we don't want to become that critical spirit. We don't want to become the person with the cutting words and putting people down, tearing people down. 
I know that every single day you and I deal with Satan whispering in our ear all the guilt and the shame that we have from the sin that we've got going on in our life. And many times we listen to that and it leads to having that critical heart where you come down hard on other people as well. The writer in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. And I don't want my words to be cutting. I want my words to bring healing. I want them to be important in someone's life. And many times because of our sinful nature, though, we lean into that critical spirit. And I've been a lot of, part of a lot of conversations, no doubt you have too, where in reflection you think, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that, should have gone that direction. You may have been a part of conversations that look like, man, can you see what she was wearing? I thought that she was a Christian. Might hear something like, you know, my boss is so dumb, my fifth grader could have made a better decision than he did. Or, man, did you see that coach in the play he called? I'm certain my daughter could do a better job coaching that team than, than he could. Or maybe you see someone that has some money and they're spending it a certain way. Man, if I had that kind of money, that's not how I would spend it at all. I would do something totally different. Have you seen her Facebook feed? I mean, it's full of all the selfies of her. She's all about herself. We have no idea, church, how one sentence, one word, one reflection can really be critical of someone else. And our critical heart sometimes is born out of pride, ignorance, and hurt in our own life. So we ask the question as we wrap up this morning, so what is it that I need to do to kind of eliminate that spirit of criticism that I might have in my life? Or how could I coach someone else that might be wondering and wanting to have an answer to that same question? And if you leave here with nothing else this morning, this next sentence is the thing that I want you to remember above all things. And here it is, that we must become deeply grounded in who we are in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us have got to be deeply grounded in who Jesus says we are. You and I have got to live that out each and every day. I can overlook a criticism because of who I am in Christ. Because I'm already approved by God, because you're already approved by God, you really don't need the approval of other people. Because the creator of the universe knows you, he loves you, he knows your story, he's leaning into you, he's done so much for you. We're called to live that kind of life that gives him glory. And I don't need to tear down other people to justify myself either because of who Christ has made me. That's the person I truly want to be. You see, if I end up living, living for the presence of your praise, I will die by its absence as well. And so I need to lean into who God's created me to be, who he wants me to be. I'm going to be absolutely confident in who he has called me to be. I've got to be careful to get to a place where, where uh, criticism doesn't go to my heart and compliments don't go to my head. I've got to think about other people around me just like God's called me to do. Paul knew this to be the truth. We have a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome in our Bible. And because of that, not only did he write to the church in Rome, but he wrote to us today. And Paul addresses this very issue with all those who would call them sons and daughters of the Most High God. He says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, he says, So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? 
Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. That's the kind of follower I want to be. How about you? I want to be the kind of person that reflects the life-giving words that Jesus gives to us. So it's a call for all of us today to stop being so offendable. Stop being so nitpicky in our day-to-day interaction with people. We're not called to, to judge those around us. Jesus calls us to love those around us. You become what you focus on. Positive people focus on positive things like the words of Jesus, which are life-giving. So I want to be that kind of person that leans into the relationships I have, not by tearing down or criticizing, but building up and affirming, because that's what Jesus Christ has done for me in my life. And I know there are some of us here this morning who are working through hurt that other people have kind of piled on you. And I want you to hear me clear this morning that God loves you, that he cherishes you. He's done so much for you. He's put his Holy Spirit in your heart when you believed in Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die on the cross for you so that he could have a relationship with you. So incredibly important that we recognize and listen to the words, the life-giving words that Jesus has given us. I've come to give you life and life and to the full. I know that there might be some here today who are struggling with criticism you've received or maybe in your own life, you're recognizing in some self-reflection that you are the critic. As we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room behind us. And I want you to find one of them if that's where you find yourself bearing the brunt of criticism or you yourself are the person who's critical. And ask them to pray for you and and remind you of the love that God has for you, of all that Jesus has done for you, the kind of life we've been called to live, to leave behind what others say that you are and believe what God's already said, that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. So let's stand together as the family of God and praise his holy name.